KH 3650 Physiology of Exercise Lecture, Thursday, September 24th, Caffeine. Alright, so let's talk about caffeine as an ergogenic aid. One of the reasons there's a lot of an interest in caffeine is because there's a lot of interest in caffeine. Okay? It, it's, it's probably the most commonly consumed drug in our society. You know, everything from uh, Mr. Pibb to coffee, you know, there's plenty of people, myself included, <clears throat> have a difficult time getting going in the morning or getting, uh, uh, stay going during the day without having that cup of coffee or, or whatever. <clears throat> uh, one of my first roommates when I was a graduate student just uh, dispensed with the whole beverage part of it and he used to just, you know, take the little no-dose tablets, you know, just wash them down, caffeine, get his caffeine levels up there. Uh, you know, we've gone all the way to the point of, of Jolt Cola, Rockstar, you know, all these other energy drinks that one of the main constituents is caffeine. Well, people have studied caffeine as an ergogenic aid for a long time, and the bottom line, the bottom line is caffeine is effective as an ergogenic aid under some circumstances. And not necessarily for the reason that a lot of people think. Okay? So, uh, naturally occurring compound, we find it in a wide variety of different foods and, and substances. Um, when you consume it, rapidly absorbed from the GI tract, really within minutes we start to see the caffeine levels in blood increase. Um, and if you consume, a, 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 have an intake of caffeine, usually like a, like a single you know, cup of coffee or something like that, you see peak levels in about 60 minutes. Okay, so it, it's absorbed and, and ramps up in the body fairly quickly. Just to give you a notion of, of relative amounts, we typically look at caffeine in terms of milligrams in terms of intake. Okay, so if, uh, you know, if you drink uh, a cola, you know, it's usually in the neighborhood of 375 milliliters uh, or uh, 40 to 50 milligrams, but that's per 375 milliliters, and we know that most of our soft drinks now we get in 500, 600, 700 liters, so big gulp size, so you can kind of multiply that out. Uh, you know, tea's got a little bit more, coffee's got more, you know, probably some of the, you stop at Starbucks and you do a, you know, a uh, uh, triple espresso, you're, you're probably... Now, you're probably at least doubling that. Okay, so we're looking at even really uh, 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 dark coffee that's brewed, you're probably getting about 150 um, milligrams of caffeine in a, in a cup of coffee. Now, um, caffeine essentially has three sort of wide effects in the body. Uh, it's long been looked at as an ergogenic aid for endurance sports because one of the things it does is that it mobilizes free fatty acids. Okay, you consume caffeine and it mobilize, it breaks down those stored triglycerides and mobilizes free fatty acids. So the rationale there is that we would be able to spare our carbohydrate stores if we can mobilize more of our fat stores and use that for energy, okay? Um, 
So that's the, the primary mechanism that's thought to, to um, have caffeine be an ergogenic aid, particularly for endurance exercise. It has some other effects as well. Well, here's our, here was our scheme. You know, we've got our stored fat as triglycerides, and in order to use those triglycerides, we've got to break them down into free fatty acids and ship them out through the body, and that's what caffeine does. When you drink those, that couple of cups of coffee in the morning, it starts breaking down these triglycerides, increasing our fatty acids, and our fat oxidation in our tissues goes up. Caffeine also has a direct effect, and this is why you know, most people uh, uh, include it as part of their uh, diet on a daily basis, is it's got a direct effect on the central nervous system. It, it increases our, well, it increases the propagation or the speed of, of uh, neural signals. It reduces our perception of effort and increases uh, feelings of alertness, awakeness, so it stimulates the central nervous system. Caffeine also ha can have a direct effect on skeletal muscle uh, in that it can result in a greater release of calcium and therefore uh, more muscle contraction. Okay. Typically this isn't seen in the human body. The calcium is used in this case more in experimental models where we've got a piece of muscle in a petri dish and we increase the calcium concentration in the solution around it to try to see that muscle uh, contract more. Okay, so uh, three main purported effects. Increasing free fatty acid release and fat metabolism, stimulation of the central nervous system, and potential effect directly on muscle to, to increase force production. You can go to the library, look up on PubMed. If you type in caffeine and exercise, you will get thousands and thousands of hits. Lots of research studies on caffeine and exercise. Some of the things you need to know if you're reading any of those studies is to, is, uh, to pay attention to. You need to look at the type of exercise task that they're doing in the study. Is it short-term, really high intensity? Is it long-term uh, endurance related? So it's the type of exercise task that may make a difference in whether or not you see uh, an ergogenic effect. So I mentioned uh, intensity. Uh, the training status of the subject is important as to whether or not they're accustomed to the uh, activity or not. This is probably the most important variable of all, and that is the caffeine experience of the subject. Okay? Because a lot of studies use people that are habituated to caffeine, and then they give them caffeine, and it doesn't have much of an effect because they're used to it. They're, they're addicts, right? Um, the, the, the studies that give us the most clear examples use people that either are, uh, that don't use caffeine, or if they typically use caffeine, they take them off of it for some period of time, let it wash out of their system, and, and then reintroduce it for the study. Okay? Um, in, in the blood, it, it goes out pretty quick, within hours, but it probably takes a week or more. Uh, and if you're a habitual caffeine user, you know, the, you know the feeling. 
If you don't get your caffeine for the first day, you just might feel a little groggy. The second day, you get, not that I know this from personal experience, uh, first day you're a little groggy, the second day you're probably groggier and starting to get headaches. Those headaches might persist for a couple of days and then eventually, you know, um, uh, it starts to wear off. So anywhere from two or three days to a week probably. Okay. Um, and then obviously there's individual variability, some people that respond and some people don't. All right, well here's an example of uh, a study with caffeine and endurance performance. They used uh, some elite level athletes. Uh, some were runners, some were cyclists. And so they had them do these uh, trials to exhaustion where they had them exercise at a high aerobic intensity and had them go for as long as they could. Now notice, because notice, this is an important factor with these caffeine studies, they ingested 9 milligrams of caffeine for every kilogram of their body weight. So an hour before they exercised, they took 605 milligrams of caffeine. That's equivalent to 4 or 5 strongly brewed cups of coffee an hour before exercise. Okay. Uh, their performance times got better when they uh, their performance got better when they got the caffeine, um, but their respiratory exchange ratio, their RER, was not different. What does that tell you? When they got caffeine versus when they got a placebo, they got they well I won't say faster, but they were able to do this task for a longer period of time but their respiratory exchange ratio was not different when they got the caffeine versus when they didn't. What does that tell you? What does RER tell us? They're burning fat or carbs. Tells us whether or not we're burning fat or carbs. So if RER was not different, was there a difference in their fat metabolism versus their carbohydrate metabolism when they got caffeine versus when they didn't get caffeine? No. Okay, so their conclusions were caffeine, and this is important, in high doses increased endurance performance or improved their endurance performance, and in this case both in running tasks and in cycling tasks. But it was apparently not due, not due to an increase in fat utilization. Okay, so even though caffeine increases free fatty acid release, it doesn't appear that that has an effect on metabolism, but it did help improve their performance in terms of the caffeine itself. So what most studies, if you look at the balance of studies with endurance performance, you typically see some improvement in performance but you typically do not see a difference in fat metabolism. So it's probably mostly due to um, the central nervous system effect and the reduction in their perception of effort so they can feel like they can go harder. Uh, okay. So does this speed up the rate that fat metabolized or is it just... No, because basically what happens is there are more free fatty acids floating around, but we're not using them any faster. 
Okay? So the, the body literally is putting those free fatty acids out into the bloodstream, but we're not using them any faster. In, in fact, there's a, uh, there are studies with a similar rationale, but what they've done is they've um, used, uh, um, I'll think of the drug in a minute. I uh, can't think of it right off the top of my head. Um, well, they inject this particular drug that actually causes a much more dramatic release of free fatty acids than does um, caffeine. And so free fatty acids go very high, but exactly the same thing happens. So just because the free fatty acids are elevated in the blood, uh, we're, we're not able to metabolize them fast enough. Okay? How is that a benefit for caffeine? It's not a benefit from a metabolic standpoint. It's only a benefit for a performance standpoint. Okay? Now, I will, I will tell you, we'll, we'll get to, uh, and, and here's one of the things to consider, because people ask me this, I, I don't think the performance benefit is great enough for people, if you're not used to caffeine or not used to using it, don't suddenly start using it for performance, because there are other, what are some of the other effects that go along with high doses of caffeine? Epinephrine, uh, where epinephrine levels are elevated, and what else with high doses of caffeine? Heart rate goes up, you get nervous, jittery, blood pressure's elevated, uh, it's a diuretic, right? Makes you urinate more, okay? So all these things from an athletic performance standpoint may not be beneficial. So what I tell people in terms of caffeine, particularly for uh, endurance exercise, if you're used to using caffeine, if you're used to, you know, in y'all's uh, uh, upcoming situation, if you're used to drinking coffee or having a Diet Coke in the morning, Wake up and have it, but if you're not, don't do it just to get the caffeine because it's, it's going to be an unusual circumstance for you. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Um, I'm going to skip over that. that. That's just a table that you can look at that has, as I mentioned, there's, just t there's lots and lots and lots of different research studies. This is just a summary table of a bunch of different studies. Um, uh, I need to get rid of that. Okay, just some issues to consider. Uh, a lot of early studies, you've got to pay attention to make sure the study design is reasonable, which a lot of early studies in the uh, set, you know, 60s, 70s in particular may not have been. Um, this time to exhaustion idea. In that study we just talked about, they put somebody on a treadmill at a speed that was equal to 85% of their VO2 max, and they said, run as long as you can. How, how similar to that is, is that to an a actual athletic event? Probably not so much. In, in a real athletic event, what do you do? In a running event, what do you do? You got a start line, you got a finish line, you get from A to B as fast as you can, right? So I'll show you the results of a time trial study in a second. Um, a lot of times we do those types of studies because it does keep the person at a fixed running intensity so we can make some comparisons um, when they're, they're running at or cycling at the exact same intensity. Uh, it just happens when they got the caffeine, they were able to keep going at that intensity for a longer period of time. Uh, you got to be careful because there's a lot of big variation in the dosages used and typically most studies you know, show that you got to have a pretty high dose of caffeine to, to show a positive ergogenic effect. Uh, you know, again, caffeine status, if you're looking at the study, they have to make some mention of whether or not these subjects were habituated to caffeine or removed from it or whatever. Um, 
Okay, and again, not, not all, in fact, I would say not many studies show the fact that caffeine causes us to rely more on fat and less on carbohydrate metabolism. Not many. Uh, here's one that was, let me see. Let's just, I'm going to skip over that one. Okay, here's the one I was after. This used triathletes and cyclists. And they did a one-hour time trial. Okay, so in this case, they were on a on a on a bike uh, or a cycle ergometer in the lab where they mimicked uh, a time trial. Uh, so the idea was that you know they they complete this task as fast as possible. So it's more like a real race event. Um, you know, once again, the, uh, they they combined the caffeine in this case with a carbohydrate beverage with a sports drink. And they used anywhere from 150 to 225 to 320 um, milligrams of caffeine in a, a liter of the fluid. And uh, same thing we saw before, performance was improved when they got the caffeine, but it was not due to fat oxidation. Okay, so once again, pretty clear caffeine seems to help in endurance sports, but not because of uh, metabolism or, or fat metabolism. These just look at high intensity exercise. Uh, an example of, you guys remember the 30 second uh, bike test you did in lab a few weeks ago? It's only 30 seconds, right? Okay, well in this particular study, they did four of them. Uh, they, they did a, a 30 second Wingate test, they rested for four minutes, they did another one, they rested for four minutes, they did another one, rested for four minutes, and then did another one. Same person. Same resistance, yes. So they did four Wingate tests back to back to back to back with uh, a couple of minutes rest in between. Um, what they found with these particular subjects, there's no difference in their power output in the first two, and they actually got worse on the last two. Okay, so I'm not sure how you would characterize worse on the last two of four Wingate tests, but, but they got worse. So... Um, Another type of high intensity, this was about a, uh, roughly in the range of four to six minutes of high intensity exercise. And in this case, they, they did show an improvement in uh, uh, performance there. Again, the thought is central nervous system stimulant reduces the perception of effort. People can go harder. Okay. Is there a huge um, improvement on the amount? I mean, like I haven't seen. Yeah, not, not a huge amount. In this case, um, on this particular, and this is one of these time to exhaustion. They put them at a certain intensity, and it's like, how long can you go? Except instead of being, you know, an hour type task, the intensity was high enough that they were only going to last four or five minutes. And they went uh, four point one minutes with the placebo, and so they added about what is that, uh, forty seconds or something like that, 40, 40 or fifty seconds uh, when they got the caffeine. So at that intensity, they were just able to keep going for about 40 seconds longer. So, Okay. Um, again, because of its interest and its use in a variety of different sporting activities, uh, the International Olympic Committee, um, prior to the 1972 Munich Olympics, had banned caffeine. Um, and again, this was probably use of caffeine in some kind of powdered form or something like that. They didn't... They weren't, you know, banning people drinking coffee. Uh, they took it off the banned list from 1972 to 1982. Um, 
but there was a, they saw a big escalation of athletes using you know, large amounts of caffeine, so they put it back on the banned list, and the way they checked it again was with the urine test to look at how much uh, caffeine there was in the urine, um, because you consume caffeine, blood levels go up, your kidneys start filtering it, dumping it into the urine, you get a big diuresis, uh, a diuretic effect with caffeine, so you start urinating out more. Um, so just to give you an idea of what the legal limit used to be, if somebody drank four or five cups of coffee, you know, within two or three hours of their athletic event during the Olympics, that was probably enough caffeine to cause them to test positive. Okay. So you know, based on I guess uh, additional research and thinking about it and just typical use in society and that sort of thing. Uh, now drugs in sport are not administered directly by the International Olympic Committee. They're administered by the World Anti-Doping Agency, by uh, WADA. And each country that participates, like the United States, has USADA, U.S. Uh, Anti-Doping Agency. And so they maintain a prohibited list of substances, drugs, and, and other things. Um, and they have removed caffeine from the prohibited list, but they are keeping it on what's called their monitoring list, which is they keep a, a list of drugs or substances or strategies of things that they're just kind of keeping an eye on to see what current research is showing us, what current athlete use is showing us. It, it just makes it easier for them to collect the information and collect data with the idea that they may put it back on the ban list if they, if they need to, but at least to date they, they have not. So, so there's caffeine. All right, any questions on caffeine use, effectiveness as an ergogenic aid, why we might use it? I'm sorry? Okay, good question. Uh, for the research studies, you mean? Um, for the research studies, the caffeine has to be put in some kind of way in which the subject doesn't know what they're getting. Okay, and and it's it is you typically just take powdered caffeine and you mix it in with a beverage, and uh, so that you've got let's say something like Crystal Light that has a certain color, a certain um, uh, flavor to it. And, and, and that adding the caffeine doesn't change the color or the flavor. And so they, athletes either consume the placebo or the, the uh, so they don't typically do coffee, you know, because there's other, there's other kind of aspects of the coffee that may um, trigger psychological, you know, if an if a athlete is used to drinking coffee, even if it doesn't have the caffeine in it, just the, having the coffee itself may have some psychological benefit for them. So they... They deliver it in some innocuous way. I will tell you that at one point in the early 80s, the interest in caffeine got so high um, that the U.S. Uh, cycling team was uh, experimenting with different caffeine delivery methods, and they were recognizing that uh, the use, uh, the effective amount of caffeine dosage was pretty high, uh, and a lot of their athletes, when they were trying to consume it orally, we're getting upset stomachs and that kind of thing because of the, the high dosage of caffeine. So they actually experimented with caffeine suppositories. <laughs> so they attempted to get uptake of caffeine from the, the distal end of the gastrointestinal tract instead of the proximal end. So it's one of, one of the 
many things that athletes will do in an effort to try to improve their performance. <laughs> so there you have it. Other questions about caffeine?